0: he really enjoys using going through the nine steps and he enjoys using the music app yeah you just share a little bit about what you've seen with him enjoying the tutoring and also enjoying to read now yeah that is
1: that still uh it kind of just takes my breath away and is so almost shocking to me when I catch him just reading casually um when you have a child who you know, couldn't memorize his letters, you know, going on a couple years working on that to reading four or five letter words, spelling, spelling difficult and challenging words that I think are even above his level. It's just, it still catches me off guard. And it's so, um, it's so amazing and fulfilling to see that. And I could see how, like you mentioned, how proud he is of himself. Mm-hmm. Um, because I think I think we both felt very kind of hopeless because we didn't know what was wrong. We didn't know, you know, why these things weren't sticking. And so, yeah, it's, he, he actually um, enjoys reading. And, and he's actually, I mean, for how much he's had to catch up, he's actually really good.
0: I want to introduce this next podcast. Recently, I was interviewed by the San Gabriel Valley Master Key Podcast, and they believe that people and small businesses in the San Gabriel Valley make the San Gabriel Valley great. And I am a Valley girl. I'm a California native raised in the San Fernando Valley. So it was really my pleasure to meet Scott and Russell. So they love to hear stories about people in the San Gabriel Valley, and they like to hear about the journey of our lives. Um, They are passionate about collecting these personal stories and sharing those with, with you who have a heart to listen and learn. So Scott is a lawyer, and he's an entrepreneur, and he brings his inquisitive mind to business and business savvy out, and he draws out the best in each guest, and he certainly did draw out a lot in me. And then Russell has been a personal strength coach. And not only does he build physical strength, but he builds inner strength in himself and in others. It was a pleasure meeting these two gentlemen. So as a host, Russell also bring, um, (laughs) they bring genuine wisdom, interest into every discussion. Together they create an impactful time for all involved in the podcast. So this is an hour long. If you want to listen to half of it, please download it and save it and listen to the other half later, or it'll probably really engage you. And hopefully you can listen to the whole hour as you're getting ready for any, getting ready to go out or even as you're driving. Please share this uh, podcast and like it. And thank you for tuning in. Our website is dyslexia-solutions.com. Bye. So I took this test, became a substitute teacher, never thinking it was going to put me on the trajectory to be a teacher, earning two masters, two credentials, and a doctorate degree.
2: Welcome to the SGV Master Key. A show where you will hear personal stories of triumph over failures and how others successfully navigated the unique landscape that is the San Gabriel Valley. What makes us different? Well, just like you, we have chosen the San Gabriel Valley for our home or businesses or both. We believe it is the people and small businesses that make this community great, and we love to share their stories with you. We always encourage your questions and feedback, and you can find all of our contact information at sgvmasterkey.com. Here are the hosts for the show, Russell Mono and Scott Warman.
3: All right, welcome back to another episode of the SGV Master Key. Uh, we're glad to have you here and spending this time with us, and uh, I'm excited for today's guest because... Uh, I always can recognize when someone has a passion, a real passion behind what they do, and and the excitement comes through. And if that is there, I can I can almost you know listen to anything that they have to say. Yeah. Well, we've discovered that passion is the key
4: to success. Yes. To, to, absolutely. You know, just loving what you do, and uh, this also has some personal meaning
3: to you as well. Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, without my wife um, and her dedication to, to our children, I perhaps would not know as much um, as I do about learning differences in children, and specifically uh, children with dyslexia. Uh, that sort of was just a, a term that I've heard You know, growing up. Um, I didn't know anybody personally who has shared their experience with dyslexia, but some people in my wife's uh, family had been diagnosed with that, so I guess there's a greater potential for, for children to have that. And um, we had noticed some learning differences in in our in our child. So uh, I, I'm very excited to to hear about you know the the passion and the, the story of, of our guest. And today we have our guest is the founder and president of Step by Step Dyslexia Solutions, uh, Marianne Cintron. Welcome to the show.
0: Hi, it's great to be here. Thank you for this opportunity to share. Yeah,
3: yeah. thank you. Uh, so. I guess there's there's a lot in just the title of, of what you've created, but can you share with us, uh, what is your connection with the San Gabriel Valley?
0: I've been in the San Gabriel Valley a little over 40 years. I came here after graduating from UC Santa Barbara with an English degree, not knowing what I was going to do with it, and I had a friend who encouraged me to get into retail, and my mom encouraged me to go to college, as well as my dad, because they would... My mom would tell me, an entrepreneur is not what you want to do. You want a degree where you have health benef- get a job with health benefits and a promise of a career. So I got my English degree, didn't know what to do with it, and I was recruited by um, Bullock's, a department store in West Covina, to be in their manager training program. And I rapidly went into the management program, and I was a manager of China and Silver and a manager of the shoe department. And I've been out in this area ever since, and that was 40-plus years ago.
3: Wow. Bullocks. I have heard of Bullocks. Bullocks, (laughs) May Company, Robinson's.
0: Robinson's May, and now Macy's.
3: So when I first spoke to you about being on the show, you had just this You know, it felt like you were bursting with so much that you wanted to share. So I want to get into it. Um, Share with us, what is it exactly that you, you do?
0: What I do is train teachers and parents to work with their dyslexic children. I developed a reading program where kids are making significant gains in 30 sessions, 30 hours. They can make one to three year gains in reading because I combine music, classical music with the reading program. So I developed a music app. And a reading program, and the the music just has a profound effect on the brain. So I also tutor from my home. I tutor about the seven kids (laughs) to keep them because I it's a nonprofit, so that's my source of income right now. But I've been a public speaker and I've been an international speaker. Now that COVID has allowed me that opportunity on Zoom, but my reading curriculum is in India, it's in Africa, and it's across the United States and it's in Canada.
4: What led you to this from being at a department store to this kind of uh, teaching and learning opportunities?
0: Well, it's interesting because edu- teaching is my third career. Um, after I was in retail for about 10 years, I wanted to change, and I got an invitation to work at Jet Propulsions Laboratory as a technical writer, and I thought, oh, that's getting me more towards my English degree. So I was a technical writer, And I worked um, as a temporary person, but then I got a permanent job with General Dynamics. And that transferred to another position at another company called ITT Barton, where I met my husband. And we've been married for almost 32 years. So it wasn't until we had children that I was interested in education, because I would volunteer in their preschool all the time. And the director said, well, you should just get this, you know, this vault, um, you should get become a substitute teacher. So I took this test, became a substitute teacher, never thinking it was going to put me in the trajectory to be a teacher, earning two masters, two credentials, and a doctorate degree. So I had a temporary assignment in a mental health hospital, and that, I think, stirred the passion in me to really help children who couldn't learn easily because they had other issues in their environment. But when I um, started subbing, I got my first job teaching children in a third grade class, and I saw how these bright young children just couldn't read or write. And I remembered um helping in my children's kinder and first grade class and learning about phonics. And man, it was an eye-opener because it was like another foreign language. And I learned about phonics, and I knew that those teachers were strategic. They were trained to teach the children how to read and write. And I knew if they hadn't been properly trained, they could have set my kids and the others on a wrong trajectory. So I valued that, and I just wanted to help kids read. And I didn't even learn about dyslexia until I was earning my second master's. And a professor at Azusa Pacific recommended I join the International Dyslexia Association, of which I'm now a board member (laughs) in Tri-County. And I learned about Sam Orton and Anna Gillingham, who were the founders of a multisensory reading program to help dyslexic children back in the early 1930s and 40s and 50s. And we weren't calling it dyslexia until the 1960s. But I learned that a multisensory reading program approach, which, you know, the kids are seeing it, they're hearing, they have hands-on, they're speaking, would help kids learn to read. So I met a woman, when I was in my searches for learning more about Sam Orton, Sam Orton and Anna Gillingham, I met a woman who was using music with her reading program, and she challenged me to try it with a dyslexic child that I was working with at a private school. And can I share the little story of how my eyes got open to music? Sure. He was. I had him read from the computer, and auditory processing is something that most dyslexic children struggle with, and they just can't make the connection of the letter to the sound, and he read really slowly. And then I played classical music in his left ear, and all of a sudden he could read from the computer like a non-dyslexic person. And then I had a whiteboard, and I made two columns of words, and I handed him a marker, and I said, okay, connect... The word from this column to this column that are associated. And it took him a, took him like 30 seconds for the first one. And he made a really jaggedy line. And then I gave him another white, and he did that, you know, for the associated words. Then I gave him another whiteboard with two columns of words. And I said, okay, now connect these associated words. But I put music in his left ear. And not only did he go to it immediately, his lines were straight. And it gives me chills just thinking about it. But there was something profound going on in his brain when music was being played. So that day, I took the whiteboards to the uh, superintendent, principal slash superintendent. And he said, we've got to buy this program. And um, the parents actually bought it for the private school. And so I was the um, intervention specialist at the school. I was also an adjunct professor at Azusa Pacific University. So that helped lend credibility to what I was doing. And I worked with, oh, I created a summer school program for six weeks, and the, the kids came to me five, four or five days a week. And there was a parent from another district who was going to sue the school district because her son was going to be entering middle school, and he was still reading at a low third grade level. And after being in our in my reading program for six weeks, he had made three-year gains in reading vocabulary, fluency, and comprehension. And it was astounding. So the parent didn't have to sue the district. The student went into middle school, and he was still in special ed. But he was successful. And I have stories like that over the years.
4: I have a question. You focus on dyslexia. Mm -hmm. Now, how do you define or describe what is that exactly?
0: So the International Dyslexia Association will describe it as it's neurobiological in origin, and it's a student's inability to read, write, and spell, and that it's a learning disability. And I like to say eas- more easily that it's a learning difference, and it's neurological in origin, and students cha- are challenged with reading, writing, and spelling. And you can look at a student's writing it's very difficult to read. Sometimes it looks like alien writing, and they won't. When dyslexic children try to write, they won't capitalize their sentences. They won't properly punctuate. They will add and omit letters and syllables, and often you have to ask them what they read, and sometimes they don't even know what they read.
4: So how widespread? <laughs> how widespread is it?
0: So dyslexia affects one in five people.
4: So that's a lot.
0: And what's really interesting is, so part of my journey is being um, an educator that couldn't get the tenure. I I just didn't couldn't figure it out because I had these degrees and I got along with the kids, but I wasn't a tenured teacher and I was an entrepreneur who was a teacher. And here my mom would always say, don't be an entrepreneur because there's no stability in your finances. But God had made me to be an entrepreneur. So now I am the founder of Step-by-Step Dyslexic Solutions, and I'm with networking people who are entrepreneurs. And I know that. I've learned the statistics that 35% of entrepreneurs in the United States are dyslexic. So a third of my people I network with are dyslexic or have dyslexic children. And it's just amazing. It's not a stigma that people are shy from anymore because... I'm bringing out that dyslexia is a trait of genius. And we talk about Walt Disney, Leonardo da Vinci, Albert Einstein, Winston Churchill. We're all dyslexic people. And we talk about we have to unlock the the genius mind of the dyslexic child because their self-esteem is so low, they don't know how to read, so they think they're not, you know, contributing. But um, 40% of self-made millionaires are dyslexic so it's not something people want to ignore and not take care of. It's what they want to embrace and let the creativity of the dyslexic person come forth. I've learned um, the four areas where dyslexic people really thrive is entrepreneurism, engineering, architecture, and the arts. So when I reach out to network groups, I'm trying to reach out more on social media to theater people, people who like to travel, the music, more of the um, arts-related organizations because that's where those dyslexic kids are. And they have gifts to release, to show the world. And if their self-esteem is covering, you know, hiding those, you mentioned your child's self-esteem was challenged, so...
3: Yeah, you know, in in the public school system so much is dependent on you keeping up, right? And and everybody learns at different rates, but so mm-hmm. much of that is dependent on you being able to read. And I remember one time she she may have said, you know, am I dumb? Because right. she's aware of everybody else's capabilities around her and that's so hard to hear. But the changes that have come, you know, from from a different approach were were just incredible for I, I want to apologize I introduced you as um, Marianne but you you know you deserve the honor of uh, your Dr Marianne Sintron <laughs> so I I first understood dyslexia as as a visual thing but now I know it's it's so much more than that right uh, and, Yes. and could you I'm really interested how how does the auditory part play into their growth
0: so what I've shared with people is we weren't born with a reading brain like we were to see and hear Reading is a man-made thing, but God gave us the brain parts to learn to read. So, you know, when we inherited the printing press in the, in the industrial revolution, all of a sudden, all these people who couldn't read were just, you know, dropping back. But before we were an agrarian society and people would learn by model and hands-on and, and all these creative ideas were coming forth. So, what happens in the brain is all the different brain parts will work together. There's a, a brain part, an a, a occipital lobe, you know, where the, the visual is in the back of the brain. There's the auditory. There's, a, you know, when I work with my students, I tell them, you know, when you say the sounds, we're going to point to the circles or, or point to the letters and say the letter names because the speaking activates one part of the brain. The pointing activates another part of the brain. And then when a student is saying the sound versus the letter name, whether it's P or P, different parts of the brain are activated. So when I did my doctoral research, I focused on the left and the right angular gyrus, which are the central gathering uh, places in the brain for that reading information. And dyslexic people, I like to just easily say that they're reading from the wrong side of the brain. MRIs, brain scans... And and functional MRIs will show that the left side of the brain will light up when non-dyslexic people are reading. So when dyslexic people are reading, it, it won't light up, and barely does the right side of the brain light up. But if you can imagine a dyslexic person is reading from the right side of the brain, so it wants to send over the wrong word or letters in the wrong order, so it will send farm instead of from. Um, calp instead of clap. You know it just struggling there. And then, plus, the words cross over the central part of the brain called the corpus callosum, which slows down the processing. So what we do in our reading program is we play classical music in the left ear and it crosses over to the right side of the brain, giving it a job it likes to do. So it's not going to take over the reading. And then the spelling exercises are in the we send in in our in the app. The spelling exercises are played in the right ear, which cross to the left side of the brain, strengthening that left angular gyrus, like Pilates of the brain.
4: So I'm trying to. I mean, this is <laughs> profound. I mean, this is incredible. I mean, just to go back to your statement that reading is a man made inva- right? tool, I guess, yes. for invention, and so. Seeing and hearing. And then when you uh, have music played in the left ear, mm-hmm. it, it sort of clears things out so that the reading can well, take over? we all like how, music how in the background. Work? People
0: yeah. can relax with music, right? But when it's strategically played simultaneously with spelling, with spelling exercises, so we have music played in the left ear, and the spelling exercises in the right ear. It's, it's called a dichotic method of learning. But what we're doing, and the big word is we're enhancing the lateralization. So, you know, how the mu- music's going to transfer here and the ex- spelling words will transfer to the left side. It enhances, um, the learning. I mean, the kids are learning at such a fast pace. And
4: this should work with anyone, not just dyslexic uh, people. Is that right? Well,
0: some people don't need music when they read, but what I find is, well, so we use the music three different parts of the hour when we're working with the student. We'll use the music when they're reading on the computer or reading the phonics, only the music. So we have an earbud and only the left is put in the ear. And then when the students work in a phonics or grammar workbook, we'll let them play the music again and then at the very end, the culminating exercise is they take a spelling test. So kids who don't have dyslexia probably are grade level. They're probably moving ahead pretty regularly. Mm-hmm. It's the kids that need the intervention. And this is the intervention we're offering that says they'll make faster gains.
3: Were you thinking of trying to hack this to, to make you know other gains with yourself?
4: <laughs> yeah. Well, I was I, I was wondering you know. So you kind of answered what I was going to ask right there at the end. If you don't have it, you're probably grade level. So you can identify usually by where they are standing in their uh, grade.
0: Yes. We what um, the eligibility requirement for dyslexia is that the cognitive ability, how they think and vocabulary level is two grade levels different from their reading ability. And dyslexic children are bright, so they will have average or high intelligence. I just assessed a student who has a 12-year-old reading level, and he's only nine years old. But now he's reading at his fourth grade level, but he should be reading two levels higher because his cognitive is really higher. So he is eligible in those two categories and then the third requirement to be eligible for dyslexia is you you don't have that phonic the phonics or the phonological awareness which is the sound symbol relationship when you write so he might put sh instead of ch he might he doesn't doesn't learn that tch is in a word like watch or witch or patch they they don't recognize grammar and phonics tricks so when we give them a spelling exercise to write non-familiar words. They're not going to know ea, ie, you know, long vowel sounds with E at the end of a word. They just don't know those grammar tricks. And those are those phonological awareness signs we can look for.
3: I, I'm not aware if this is a part of being dyslexic, but, uh, you know, a strict adherence to the rules was something that my daughter uh, held on to. And, and I learned that the English language is just full of all these rule breakers, you know, (laughs) and, and, it's so frustrating for, for a young child to learn. And she's like, well, I thought you said when it's this, it's, you know, so, um, do you find that that's,
0: I do. And we always teach the general rule, but we always point out the exception. We don't teach to the exceptions. One of the things we have are the different sounds for the same combination of letters like O W can be in the word show or it can be in the word how. So we have that. We have oe it can be in shoe or toe. So when we teach those kind of vowel we call them vowel teams or consonant blends, you know, with the vowel when we teach the or digraphs, when we teach those we try to teach one and separate the other one until weeks later and then bring that other one in. So we don't teach them together and then we'll have exceptions to the rule like we teach to to hear the sound of of j it's J, right? But it's also soft G E, you know, G E, G I, G Y also say J. And then D G E says J. So, um, then the kids will see where G E says, or G I says G, like give. <laughs> mm-hmm. So we're like, well, that's an exception. Generally, it'll be a soft sound. So we, we teach to the, Generalities, and then we we you know we'll bring up the exceptions when they happen.
4: What are you trying to accomplish, uh, or what is the goal, or what is the result? Are are they then no longer suffering from this, or I, I don't even well, know if suffering is the right way to say it? But I mean, I, do they get yeah. over it, or or do they just learn how to deal with it?
0: No, because the, the brain is getting retrained, and so. Research has shown that when a child uses a reading program that's multisensory, Orton-Gillingham-based, their brain will actually look like the brain of a non-dyslexic peer a year later. Really? So I'm currently in the process of conducting my second research. My first research was to get the word out about what I'm doing with music in a reading program. But since this woman who mentored me passed away and didn't share her, her reading program... I've developed my own reading program, so I am showing that my music app with the reading program will retrain the brain at a faster rate than a year. I want people to know that this is happening in six weeks. We're going to do a study over 16 weeks, and we we have scientists that are going to do brain EEGs, and we have a neurologist that's helping me with what's called the Internal Review Board process. We're going to have you know review of it. But kids' brains are being retrained and they don't regress, you know, over winter break or over summer. They're not going to forget what they've Mm. learned because their brains are retrained and it's pretty amazing. My goal is to, um, twofold. One of them is to unlock their self, you know, help them, you know, build their self-esteem so we can unlock their genius mind so they can realize their full potentials. And the other one is to, tackle this reading crisis that we have in our nation because we have kids are not, two-thirds of kids are not reading at grade level, which means a third of them are actually at the F level. So there's so many statistics about 35% of high school dropouts are dyslexic. And then we have 88% of the juveniles in the juvenile court system are illiterate. So we can put these numbers together and realize if we are teaching these kids to read before they get to middle school, so the data says if they're not reach reading great at grade level by the time they enter fourth grade, they're at risk of dropping out of high school and go, or going to prison. And then those who do drop out of high school will can end up on welfare or in prison. So there's all these different ways we're looking at our reading crisis. So one of the books I just authored was. Um, um, Prisms of Brilliance. I love the title because it has a prison in the background. But I think about all the brilliant minds in those prisons because those kids didn't get the challenges that they needed to stimulate, you know, their ideas or people supporting them that they had a good idea. So they put their energy into crime, gangs, and here they are in prison. And it's like the book that wasn't re- written, right? It's like how many ideas weren't brought forth. And then the other book I just published was um, Dyslexia, A Trait of Genius. And then that's the one that really talks about the genius mind. And I share stories of people who were identified young as dyslexic and given the opportunity to dance. You want me to share a little story of that?
3: Sure. Um, uh, before, before we go there, uh, I just want to make sure that we have time to get into uh, your, your item. Uh, oh, okay. We ask each guest to bring an item with them. Uh, what did you bring with you today?
0: So my show and tell today <laughs> is my curriculum, which I'm so blessed. I was able to um, put this on a place called um, Coachwares, Coachwears, <laughs> and it's like a university program. So it's got I've got have six to eight training videos that take this the parent through the training of how to work with your child, and then all these beautiful.
4: Um, is that self study or, or? Yes. Okay. It's a
0: self study, and I brought these earbuds because it just reminds it, earphones because there's an app that goes with this. The app is CDSM, which stands for Syntron Dyslexia Solutions with Music. So uh, this is just, you know, olders, yeah. twenty years, twenty two years of being an educator, and ten as a classroom teacher is culminating here. This is what God has created me for.
4: Or 12 books here. Yeah, we've got 13 books. 12,
0: 13. Yeah. Uh-huh. yeah. And they're from the phonics reading, the spelling exercises, the workbooks for grades 1 through 4 and So who would use and these? And I mean, how so is this used? This is for parents. I'm addressing parents right now. Schools could purchase these, educators could use them for staff developments, but and they will be in the schools as we do our research. But I really want to help parents. A lot of them are homeschooling their children right now. And a lot of them don't know what to do to help their children. They're not seeing their children's creativity addressed in the public schools. They're not seeing their children's sensory needs addressed in the public schools. And kids need to move. They need to be able to ask questions. And so if parents are working with their kids at home, this is going to give them the tools to help them learn how to teach the kids to read.
3: Uh, our, our daughter has a happy bike. It's a little <laughs> bike that she, she pedals on while she's doing remote learning and just incredible difference. Oh, t- because they're using energy. No, it's a sensory Movement. thing. Sensory. I mean. oh. oh. Yeah. Cause if you, if you don't, if she doesn't have that, you can notice her. She's just always, you know, um, having to fidget. And you know in in a traditional classroom setting you know she would be punished she'd mm-hmm. be you know maybe scolded and say you need to pay attention or you need to settle down um, I really want to get into the reasons why the, uh, maybe it's my assumption though, but that teachers and parents maybe are not taught how to to see the signs of this because it's it's a huge issue like you said with the numbers of of people ending up in, in prison or dropping out of school. Uh, before I get to that, though, I know you had a, a story you wanted to share. So, do you? St-
0: well, I was going to share a sensory story because I work from a home office, and I brought in this wonderful kitchen chair for this. St- I was doing everything on Zoom. Suddenly, students want to come to my home, so I just brought in a kitchen chair that's padded and just really nice and comfortable. I thought, and then one day I have a I have a restless student that I'm tutoring. And I decided to bring in another office chair that my husband uses. And, oh, my gosh, it was like night and day for that student because he had somewhere to put his arms. He could wait, raise or lower it to the proper height of the, at the desk. He could even put his feet up on the chair, and I wasn't going to yell at him. And he could swivel it if he wanted to move it. And he had a – it was like a 180-degree turn. So mm. I went out and bought another chair for my students because of that sensory need.
3: Are you aware of the happy bike? I'm not. <laughs> yeah, it, it's it's a little yellow bike. It's like a you know maybe a, it's a stationary bike, but it's very solid, solidly built, and it's just tiny and they're so cute. You know, <laughs> I'm trying to understand
4: what is the sensory part of it. I mean, I I see it as using energy, but that's not what the well, value it's, is. it's
0: needing to move mm-hmm. instead of being still. We I used to teach in a, a charter school in Los Angeles that had beanbag chairs and cushions and the and the kids could sit in those chairs and cushions or they could um, even sit on a table because they were sturdy and it just helped the kids to be, to be able to move and a, a kind pillows, of
4: directed uh, movement is that what it is
0: just just what, if they need to wiggle they can wiggle mm-hmm. yeah. Not the uh, you were going to say so something gonna, about dance. Right? I was going to share a story about a young gal in the 1930s that they call Little Wigglebutt. <laughs> Little <laughs> Wiggle Bottom, sorry. <laughs> she, her name was uh, Jillian Lynn, and her mom was very concerned because as a third grader, she still wasn't reading, and took her to the doctors. And the doctor put Jillian in this large room and said, I'll be right back. I'm going to just talk to your mother. And he turned the music on when he left the room. And they looked in the window, and she was dancing. And he told the mother, there's nothing wrong with your daughter. She just needs to be dancing. She's a dancer. So the mother got her involved with dancing. When she was um, 20 years old, she was the, the Snow White dancer uh, with the Royal Opera House. And then when she was 50, two directors of famous musicals came to her, asked her to be the lead director or choreographer, sorry. Lead choreographer for Phantom of the Opera and Cats. Oh, wow. And that's just one of our favorites. Those are our favorites. And her name is Jillian Lynn. And she passed away in 1918. And, um, at the age of 93 or 94. So I just think about parents advocating for their children, young, looking into what can they do to help their children. And the fact that this doctor knew, I mean, There's a battle between the schools. You know, let the doctor diagnose. Let the school psychologist diagnose. My last year in the classroom, I was teaching six levels of math. And here I'm a reading specialist. And my school wasn't recognizing that in me because they had other reading people who had those roles, and they didn't want me to take over those roles. So I was teaching math, and dyslexia wasn't even talked about. I had another book I published called A Message of Hope, how music inspires children with dyslexia and never discussed it with me. And um, the last week I was there, the school psychologist sent us an email asking, um, So, are there any children that you suspect might have dyslexia? And I'm like, Oh my gosh. <laughs> mm-hmm. So, we've been, you know, they'll assess the kids for auditory processing to put them in special ed, but there's just a few tests more that they have to do for dyslexia and they just aren't doing it because that means they have to train their staffs, and to them, they don't think they have extra budget for it, but that's what we pay the schools for. And dyslexia doesn't, the kids don't need to be in special ed. We want to actually get them out of special ed. Once they start reading, let them exit special ed, and we have a testimony of a a young second grader who didn't even know letter names and sounds, so we helped him with that. After a year, he was exited from special ed in reading, and he was reading at a fourth-grade level and comprehending at a fifth-grade level with our reading program. After an additional year, he's reading at a fifth-grade level, comprehending at a sixth-grade level. So there's that opportunity to keep growing and growing, but this is with one-on-one intervention, and the schools just, they're not working it out. So that's what we really wish we could help.
4: You mentioned that uh, there are a lot of dyslexic children grow into these very successful, accomplished positions mm-hmm. uh, in life, do they get there without this kind of intervention and help? I mean, do they just have to bounce around and learn before they you know, get to that point? <laughs> There's a
0: lot of adults who'll share their stories that they've worked things out, and because I interview people also who are dyslexic. They'll say, we just worked it out. We never even knew it was a problem. But they see it in their children. And they're saying that, gosh, it's hard to raise kids nowadays. And their children are having that low self-esteem because they're being teased. But what we try to encourage the children uh, that they need that intervention. And parents, fortunately, the parents who can pay privately will pay privately for help. But those kids who want to go to college, there's actually accommodations that they can get to go to college if they need a degree for engineering or they want to be teachers. One of the gals on our board, Christina Bacor, she's dyslexic, and she just graduated from UC Davis with a science degree in animal science, a BS in animal science, and she just competed for Miss California. She ranked in the top ten just this summer. But she also got accepted to veterinary school. So she advocates for the school. She goes and tells the kids, you know, you, you know, don't give up on your dreams and get the help you need. But parents need to know where to go for help. And then, um, the other thing is if they go to college, there's accommodations that the kids can get. Like, you know, they can do more of the tests orally and they can do less problems if, if they if they can show mastery after answering one or two problems why give them five and ten so they can have shortened assignments and that can happen even in school and that's why when they're in special ed they can get those kind of accommodations
3: it, it seems like recognizing the signs is critical right at a very at right. the earliest stage as yeah. you can where do you think that responsibility lies and and what are your uh solutions or, or you know suggestions to improve that
0: yes the at the beginning it belongs to the parents because parents need to learn what the early indicators are. And I'll just say that kids should be rhyming by the time they're four years old, you know, cat, mat, hat, sat. And they need to be recognizing beginning sounds of words. And I have in my social media, I put little activities for parents to practice with their kids, you know, cut out some pictures and, um, Talk about the sound, the beginning sound of that picture. Cat, puppy, you know, what's the beginning sound? And then talk about the ending sounds of words. And then you talk about how you put those sounds together. And when parents try to teach their children how to write their name, how to write small words, I think it starts in the home and also with a lot of reading. The more parents can read to their children. I love when I see kids on the floor with their books just loving to read. And, you know, parents holding their kids on their lap and showing them the process of reading from left to right, how we turn our pages. And that has to be started in the home. And but
4: reading is not a natural activity, right? Right. But, but it's a very important in the educational
3: process. Right. So would you be able to recognize signs in an adult who has failed to, or, or the system, or, <clears throat> or somewhere they've uh, not been... Uh, properly diagnosed with this, can you can you see that?
0: Yes, um, usually I'll see it if if I see their writing. We went to I went to an elderly care center several years ago to have lunch with one of my elder, elderly friends, and I had lunch with her husband. And when I went to get the receipt, the gal had written guest wrong. She didn't know it was G U E S T, and she had spelt Dale like pale. And she just had words wrong, and she didn't know, you know, dining room has two ends. She wrote dinner din room. You know, she just didn't know the grammar and spelling rules. And right away, I just asked her, are you dyslexic? And she goes, I am. And she goes, and I said, well, I work with dyslexic people, and are you getting any help with it? And she goes, no. In fact, she goes, I just got put in this position as a, you know, at the front desk, and I don't like it because it makes me write. And I don't know how to write. Mm. And, um, usually she's in the back with numbers. And I, if I see the writing, I know they're d- d- dyslexic. Sometimes people will say the wrong word. And that, I don't know. Sometimes we all just make mistakes saying the wrong word or we can't find that word that we need. And some of those are just normal. They're not necessarily dyslexic qualities. But, um, I've had adults come to me to be assessed because they'll say, I cannot read and I want to read on uh, my Bible. <laughs> I just want to learn to read. And so, after I've assessed certain people, I'll say you have the comprehension of a sixth or of sixth grader, but the reading level of a third grader, and he'll say that's exactly where I thought I was, you know. And their self esteem is really impacted. Still, um, I've had adults say they've they've had to have other friends fill out job applications for them, and they feel like a liar or a cheater because they can't fill that out themselves.
4: Mm-hmm. Is uh, th- an inability to spell always a A dyslexic problem?
0: Yeah, it is. And what's really interesting is dyslexic people will memorize words. So they'll spell words correctly because they're memorized. But they're, excuse me, they're retrieved from their brain from the right side, which is where pictures are stored. Mm. So kids who've learned to read by sight words will store it in the right side of the brain. And, um, but so if you have them write non familiar words, they're not going to be successful.
4: Wow. Is, is this a <laughs> uh, is there a, a relationship to family background or or to um heredity or uh you know how 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 where does it come from?
0: There is a genetic component and from what I understand only 40% of dyslexia is genetic. So the other people who are dyslexic are developing it. Maybe their parents aren't talking to them when they're little or reading to them. You know, maybe they're learning whole language. We're, we're really against whole language. That's the memorizing the word, and it goes to the right side of the brain. We really want to promote structured literacy where they're learning the sound to symbol relationship to the letter because then it goes to the left side of the brain. So it's developmental dyslexia.
3: I know of an individual who um, works as a, a, a forklift operator who has dropped out of uh, high school at grade. 11, and um, there are a lot of indications that they, they go out of their way to avoid uh, where they would have to have a lot of reading and writing. I, I imagine that you you probably recognize a lot of uh, comorbid symptoms, uh, even though you may not be officially trained in that, but uh, I'm interested in in hearing some of those, which you have uh, observed, but uh, let's take a quick break and we'll, we'll be right back.
2: The legal process can be intimidating. You don't know where to start and you're unsure of what to expect. The attorneys and staff at the law offices of Scott Warmouth have been serving the San Gabriel Valley for over 35 years, helping people just like you navigate through the legal process and ensuring you're treated fairly. You can find them at law888.com or call 626-282-6868.
3: That's 626-282-6868. All right, we're back with Dr. Marianne. Uh, Before the break, I mentioned uh, an individual that I know, um, but uh, as someone who is around and and working with so many people with dyslexia, I'm really curious to any patterns that you have observed in, in comorbid issues that may affect them.
0: A lot of it is the attention deficits, either um, ADHD or ADD? And the woman who mentored me 18 years ago said, if kids were more stimulated, they wouldn't have ADD or ADHD. They need the curriculum to stimulate them. So our reading program is very engaging. And the kids just go, gosh, time's flying. You know, it's it's a half an hour already. So someone once said, it's not a learning disability, but a teaching disability, that teachers need to know how to address and how to, you know, let the child stand up and go to the computer and read. Okay, now come over here. Let's get these five-color highlighters, and let's do some work in the workbooks with highlighters so we can categorize different themes that we're learning. So ADHD and ADD are the main ones, and I've even had parents give send their students to me who have autism and mostly a mild sense of autism, but they have the dyslexia is there as well. So, and then there's also dysgraphia where the the writing is just really, really sad. I mean, you cannot even understand what they're writing at all.
3: Right. Uh, you had mentioned, you know, so just the <laughs> impact of, of this and, and what the, the statistics that you shared earlier about, you know, people in prison and dropping out of school, it seems, you know, critical that, that uh, you know, the world, you know, be aware of this. Uh, and you mentioned that it falls first on the parent, uh, so beyond that, if the parents are unable or unwilling to how how can we catch it after that?
0: Well, teachers need to be trained what to look for, and I mean, I was wondering what 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 was this when I would see these bright kids, the ones I could carry on good conversations with. they'd tell me their life story, they're articulate. But man, they couldn't read. When I had the book Holes, and it was such an interesting book, I'm like, oh, the kids are going to love this. And this bright young student couldn't read it. And I'm like, what is this? So we need to be informed what it is. There's an organization called um, International Dyslexia Association that parents should sign up and join because we're always having conferences, we're having workshops, we're having special speakers who come out and share what's going on in the brain, what dyslexia... Um, what it is and how they can help their children. And then Decoding Dyslexia is another international organization. But teachers are so busy in the classroom that they don't want to add more to their plate, right? I certainly didn't, because between the testing and assessments and benchmarks and evaluations and all the things we're required to do as classroom teachers, you don't think about adding something else to your plate, but Teachers who really want to help those kids that they see are struggling and they just don't know what to do to help them, they need to join one of these organizations and learn about dyslexia.
3: Yeah, and, and like you said earlier, the, the sooner the better, right? So mm-hmm. even if they can develop uh, ways to, to read and, and, and improve those things, the, the uh, self-esteem may already be quite uh, destroyed yes. you know, by, let's say, 5th grade, 6th grade, if they already are falling behind. I know you have a lot of information that you want to share, uh, but we want to uh, be able to get into the other portion of our show where we learn about uh, some of your interest in the San Gabriel Valley. So
4: here we go into what we call the SGV3, which is uh, talking about uh, places or events or things you like about the San Gabriel Valley. And after such a fascinating (laughs) conversation, this seems so prosaic or <laughs> <laughs> commonplace, but you know, let's. Delightful. Uh, <laughs> what are some of your favorite things about the San Gabriel Valley?
0: One of the um, favorite uh, traditional events we do, Candlelight Pavilion in Claremont. It's um, where they have the musicals, you know, seasonal musicals, and they have dinner. So it's a dinner show, Candlelight Pavilion. Mm-hmm. And we love that. It's a family-owned business, you know, generations. It's a
4: year-round activity.
0: Uh And, of course, with COVID, they got shut down for a little bit. But Mm -hmm. we love doing that for anniversaries, Christmas events. And we've been taking the kids since they were little to go there and even sit on Santa's lap. You know, those kind of how young they were. Now they're in their 20s. So Candlelight Pavilion. We love a traditional Mexican restaurant called La Toteca. And that's in Azusa, and they make their own tortillas, and that's also grandfather-owned, generational. Where in
4: Azusa? Do you know the streets?
0: It's on Azusa, right below uh, Foothill. Foothill in Azusa. Okay. In Azusa. And then, um, so we always go there. And then another place where my husband proposed to me was Pomona Valley Mining Company. Oh, yeah, that's a famous one. At the top of the hill, yeah. Yeah.
3: I never heard of that. What, What is that?
0: Pomona Valley, it's uh you go up the big the big hill and it's if you a if mining, you're driving mining company look
4: yeah west if you're going east well east, east or west yeah. uh, really on the ten just past the uh probably the fifty seven right uh-huh. so as you're as you're let's say you take the two ten and you come down the fifty seven mm-hmm. and then go east on the ten to your left is a big hillside yeah and Pomona Valley Mining Company is a restaurant. It's a big uh, wood structure. It's been there for as okay. long as I, think long as I can think of. Yeah.
0: And it overlooks the, the valley. The whole valley, yeah. It's really nice.
3: Wow, okay. There's no signage, though, that's visible from the freeway then. You can see the actual restaurant and the and the
4: name. Oh, you from from can see the name, high. too.
0: If you look up there, it'll say yeah. Pomona Valley Mining.
4: Okay, Okay. Yeah, I know it from just seeing it every time I take that freeway.
0: And it's a popular restaurant for corporations that want to take their employees. That's how we were introduced to it. Yeah. But very romantic too.
3: Oh yeah. I I... You you should win some sort of prize because you had three new and unique uh yeah places right. oh, for okay. this. None <laughs> of, none of those have been mentioned All before. Right. Yeah. Well, uh Marian, thank you so much for, for sharing uh, you know, your, your, your life's work, really, and, and the importance of, of what you're doing. Uh, so what, what's on the horizon for you? Uh, what, what's coming up?
0: Well, I am working on some research, like I explained, uh, to help 24 students learn to read. And we want to show the evidence that music with reading really does have a great impact on the brain. I just published two new books, And one is mentioned them earlier. Um, dyslexia is a trait of genius and how do we how to unlock the genius mind of your dyslexic child available on Amazon. And dyslexia, um, the prisms of brilliance. And this is closing the achievement gap and stopping that school to prison pipeline. I also have my curriculum up on code. Courseworks right now. Coach wears It's available for parents or if educators want to look there, psychologists, speech pathologists. So we're just getting this information out to the public.
3: Sure. And, and we'll, we'll have all those in the show notes links to, to purchase those. Uh, and you also have a, a podcast.
0: I do. And so on my podcast, it's dyslexia solutions. I interview adults with dyslexia and parents who have dyslexic children. And I have them share their journey with their child or their own journey. I mean, I have interviewed a design engineer of high performance cars who had dyslexia. I interviewed people who've been really, you know, high accomplishments. A lot of them are designers, creators, and even our pageant, you know, California competitor for Miss California pageant. And then it just inspires our audience. So the audience are also dyslexic adults. And so they're encouraged. I've had people from the education field who know the, um, the law with, edu- with dyslexia. And we've had statistics. I've had people who share about health and how parents have to pay attention to what they're feeding their kids if kids have dyslexia. So that's weeded away.
3: Can, can you, can you speak on that? Cause, you know, we, we have, we <laughs> noticed some, some things with specifically, um, Dairy and uh, gluten
0: yes, I well, what this person shared is trying to eat as organically as possible and cutting out preservatives, and i 'll have students come to my tutoring. they have Captain Crunch for breakfast or mm. cocoa puffs, and i 'm like, no, <laughs> you know there's parents have to pay attention having their children eat the vegetables and the fruits and not eat packaged foods, but we all have to eat like that, right? We all should try to eat healthier that way. But when there's learning challenges, man, you want to, parents want to do what they can for their kids. And I think the first thing they need to do is look at what their kids are eating.
3: Oh, uh, sorry, I had, you know, I have another question. (laughs) Um, Do you find resistance from parents to accept that there is something different uh, about their child?
0: No, um, parents are just so glad they find me. They're like, oh, my gosh, my son has made drastic improvement with you. Whatever you're doing, their teachers are saying, don't stop. They they know their children have, have challenges, and they're just looking for an answer. They're looking for help. So I don't, you know, when I give a diagnosis, um, what I do is I pre-screen some kids for dyslexia. You know, that's an assessment assignment that I do. And parents are just so relieved to either know their child has it so that they know what to do, or they know their child doesn't have it, so they know what to do. And even for themselves, they know if they're in a wrong job placement because they have dyslexia. But most parents, if they can pay out of pocket, they can get that private tutoring, and those kids can get the help, which, you know, it's interesting. My my cousin pointed out to me that um, Steven Spielberg... Um, Walt Disney, other people who, Steve Jobs, people who have been very successful with dyslexia, you never know what kind of support they had and even people funding them financially to get their ideas out there. So it's kind of, you know, sad that only the people with money are the ones that can pay for intervention for their kids. That's why we're trying to get the research out to give the schools the option to, you know, let the kids all have a fair chance at getting intervention.
3: That's wonderful. Yeah, I... I I'm really thankful that someone is doing the work that you're doing. How how can people reach out to you? How can they connect with you?
0: Okay, so my website is dyslexia-solutions.com. And there's a meet with me. They can email me there and chat and find my curriculum and a lot of good stuff on my website. And then my podcast is Dyslexia Solutions. And I also have a YouTube channel. Oh. and that's um, dyslexia solution so people can find me, all that information on my website
3: excellent and, and for the listening audience or, or the viewing audience we'll have all those uh links in the the show notes below so thank you again for the work that you do and for sharing your story thank with you us Thank you very much i yeah, really appreciate it having you on the show This has been a pleasure thank you thank you
2: thanks for checking out another episode of the sgv you can find the full back catalog of the SGV Master Key at sgvmasterkey.com and wherever you get your podcasts. This show was produced and edited by Russell Mano and Victoria Allers of Kind Monster Productions. Thanks again for listening or watching. We'll see you again real soon in the next episode.
3: Nice monster. No, kind of